You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. In, um, in 1994, I moved from uh, Glencoe, Scotland, to uh, Hillsborough Street in Raleigh um, to uh, NC State, to go to NC State. Um, and Glencoe is the most beautiful valley I've ever seen, one of the most beautiful places in the world I've ever seen. And, uh, and Hillsborough Street, not, not so much. It's got this place called the Brickyard for a reason, if you're... NC State alumnus, I'm sorry, it's not a very pretty school, um, at least in my opinion. And I, and I went there, so I can say that. Um, but my point in saying that is this, this um, there was a huge sense of loss, almost like, like the fall or something like that. Uh, there was a sense of uh, the glory of God that I was experiencing every single day in Glencoe when I would wake up and look out the window and see uh, that incredibly beautiful um, set of mountains with a waterfall coming down the middle of them. Um, I felt like I had lost a friend. It was like there was a presence in my life that was missing. And you may have experienced that before if you've ever lived in a really beautiful place and then had to leave that place. Well, the story of the Bible is a story of a rejected paradise that we were given by God as a gift and that we rejected willfully, rebelliously, and uh, this, was a, this was a garden that was just bathed with the presence of the glory of God that we rejected. And the rest of the story of the Bible is God bringing us back into a garden, um, back into his presence to walk with him in the cool of the day. And this psalm is about, um, on the one hand, this God-forsaken world that we live in, life outside of the garden where the presence of God is dim. Um, and then also the fight uh, to re-experience uh, the presence of the glory of God. And so, um, where is your God is kind of the theme of the first half of the sermon, which is the God-forsaken world we live in. And then, why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God is the theme of the second half, the fight for God. So, uh, picture an, an elderly Jewish man who's weary from captivity, 600 BC in Babylon. That's the setting for the psalm. Uh, this man is repelled by the idols that he sees all around him. He misses the temple. He misses the chanting of Hebrew. He's confused by the language of these Babylonians. He's being mocked by the people around him who were saying, you know, where is your God? You're this great Yahweh who was supposed to be the king of the earth. Where is he now? You know, we, we have destroyed his temple. We've melted down all of the the ark and all the gold and we've made our idols out of those things verse 10 as with a deadly wound in my bones that's how much it hurts 
These, this is a wound in the bones. So I don't even know what that means exactly, but it's something that's gotten down to the bone. It feels like that when they say to him all the day long, where is your God? Where is your God? And if you are a believer, and if you know God, then you have experienced that same sensation of the absence of God. And if you're not a believer, I hope that you've also experienced this longing for God. But today, I, I feel this probably most acutely um, just with this idea that our God is oppressive and racist and sexist and uh, imperialistic, uh, a colonizer, you know, that the Christianity often gets that label. Um, if you don't know that, it's out there, it's true. People see it that way, and there's good reason to see it that way in some, time, in some sense. It's because the segregation um, in the South, Jim Crow laws, the, the Confederacy was filled with a lot of Presbyterians, actually. Uh, the Crusades, the witch trials, the Inquisition, you go on and on and on and on about the... When you look at church history, it's sometimes really hard to believe that the Holy Spirit's out there. And so, um, if you've ever felt that fake smile of someone's contempt for your own faith, and the utter certainty that they feel that you are a fool for believing these things, that are outdated, uh, that make no sense, they're bigoted and irrelevant. Um, that's what this guy's feeling in the psalm. And sometimes it's not explicit, it does, it's, it's like this uh, deeply entrenched secularism that we live in, um, where you just go around the city and there's absolutely no sign of God anywhere. There's nothing that says God anywhere, except nature, of course. But it's this sense, uh, this communal you know, fabrication we've created, this conspiracy, this lie, that there really is nothing out there but us. And these buildings are great achievements. This is, except for this church here, but in general, that it's just us and our glory. It's this kind of cold certainty that God is totally irrelevant. My friend Rob Warfield, who's in Africa, and uh, I envy what he sees there in many ways because he said he went to Ghana, which is currently in the midst of a massive revival. And what, if you don't know what a revival means, that means just a time when the Holy Spirit is just being poured out on many, many people in that country. And he said as he went around Ghana, he would be on a bus and there would be these teenagers that were doing a Bible study on the bus. Uh, these Ghanaians who were just hungry for God's word. I have never seen that in my life. Uh, there were people that were praying in the streets in public. Not, not like this little private thing, but actually like taking this space and saying, God is real. The presence of God is real. And people came up and they would tell him about Jesus. Um, they loved Christ. And I just, as he was telling me this the other day, I just thought, wow, what a secular wasteland we live in. You know, we're like, we're like these, uh, these poor like, forest animals that are in a drought, just crawling through uh, to find some kind of water somewhere. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O oh God. That's often embroidered or made to look really beautiful, um, but that's, that's actually a, a devastating statement. Uh, the panting is painful. And that is why we have to do this right here uh, gather in a field and proclaim again. Yes, it's only one hour a week, but it matters. It really matters to be together. I believe this one hour of the week can counter many, many hours uh, without a sense of God's presence. Because it's just this massive reminder, he's real. And these people who are not fools all say, we love him, we sing to him, we praise him. 
I think it's more important to do it once a week. I, th I think it should be done more than one time a week. I, I think it's so important that you ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life to make time for God. I just uh, heard a podcast from a guy who wrote a book called The, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. She says it's a secret to spiritual life. You've got to take time. You've got to take time. I would suggest being in a small group next year. Uh, this, is, this is about the time to sign up. And I know for our family, uh, this year, the small group has probably been one of the most important things in our lives. Um, the weekly connection with other people, just praying for each other, adoring God together, the prayer meetings. Uh, in the meantime, if you're not in a small group, come to the prayer meetings. There's three. They're all Thursday. There's one in the morning. There's one at 730. And there's one on Zoom at 8. The Bible studies that we have, the, the Sunday morning Bible study, men's Bible study, the women's Bible study when it restarts. We, we desperately need these watering holes where we can come together and, and drink of the presence of God. The, the image of water is throughout the psalm to depict what it's like. Uh, I went running today, it was incredibly hot. I got back to the car and I you know, screwed the top off my hydro flask and it was just filled with ice cold water. And drinking that down felt amazing. And so much more, when you are hungry for God and you experience his presence, it just like, it hydrates your soul. Eve and Adam walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Just think about that. And if you look at verse four, it's clear we can't do this alone. Uh, the psalmist, you know, we would go with the throng. He's remembering this throng that would go in procession to the house of God and it's so important we do this together. Um, praying to God and, and studying the Bible alone is very important, but there's something about this throng, going with this throng to the house of God that's really beautiful. Um, if you've ever been to Bon Clarken, one of our church retreats, I feel like, I feel like at, at, at Bon Clarken, for about, you know, there's, it's about two days, and even in those two days, like this kind of secular fog rolls away a little bit, and you kind of see for a moment, you see a glimpse of sunlight. Um, it's like a giant family reunion. Uh, there's hiking, there are naps. People take naps, there's food, there's no agenda. There are breweries, apple picking, games. There's lots of free time, unscheduled time. There's this giant porch, front porch with rocking chairs all along the way. Uh, people sitting there laughing, telling stories, writing, singing songs together. I mean, our children have powerful memories from Bon Clarken. And again, that's just... I'm just using that to illustrate what it's like for the throng to go to the house of God and to worship God and to be together as a family in the house of God. It's so powerful. And so that's the first point, uh, is that we, we live in a God-forsaken world. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil, verse 5? It, it does feel like you're being cast down. Uh, tears have been my food day and night. Um, it's turmoil. We're living in turmoil to, to live without God. We have no idea how much it affects us daily to go about the day without thinking about God. It's devastating. So, point two, we have to fight for God. We have to fight for God. Um, hope in God, verse five, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I love how the psalmist talks to himself throughout this psalm. Um, that's probably the, the main, if you, one takeaway from the sermon is Talk to your soul. Rouse your soul to action. We can do that. We're made to do that. 
Verse 5, why are you cast down? You stupid soul, why are you cast down? You know, why have you forgotten him? I, I love how humans have the ability to talk to ourselves. We're made in the image of a talkative God. Uh, God says, let us make man in our image. I like how God, when he's meeting with Abraham and talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and what to do with that, he, he like reasons within himself. What shall we say to Abraham? God talks to himself. God's three persons. And so uh, my dog, you know, Ricky does not say, why are, the, why are they so far from feeding me? He doesn't, he doesn't have that kind of self-talk. Uh, no other animals have that self-talk. Humans alone are made in the image of God and we can tell our souls, why are you in turmoil? Why are you in despair? Why are you doubting God? Have you forgotten what he's done? That he's never dropped the ball on you? That he's never abandoned you? These things I will remember, verse 4, as I pour out my soul. It's so important to remember. I think one of the most neglected sources of spiritual nourishment is remembering things. Um, take the most moving experience you've ever had with transcendence. And again, you might not know exactly what you believe, but we've all experienced in some way the presence of the transcendence. And think about a time when you've really met with that. Um, I remember a time in Richmond, Virginia at Long John Silver of all places. Even in Long John Silver, uh, I was doing a Romans Bible study written by Tim Keller, and uh, I had never heard of this guy. And so I, Tim Keller is like my favorite. And so I was reading this Romans Bible study on Romans 5, and I just remember uh, I was just filled with gladness at this little table eating fish sticks and iced tea and it, the, 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 I just if I even start talking about the details of that memory it can bring it back um, he remembers a multitude keeping a festival with glad shouts and songs of praise I think that was one of the greatest memories of the psalmist's life which is why he went back and talked about it and when you're doing this exercise and I do encourage you to do it do it tonight take five minutes and write it down and write down specifics. So I remember actually a far more profound one than that one was um, I was not a believer yet and I was listening to the soundtrack of the movie The Mission, which is fantastic. Gabriel's Oboe um, is one of my favorite songs and um, I was on a bus leaving Edinburgh early, early in the morning, which is a beautiful city, heading back to London and I remember seeing the, um, the hills of South Scotland at sunrise and the fog was clearing but it was foggy and the sun was starting to kind of penetrate in it was just filled with mystery and, you know scotland and the old stones and all that and i had these new friends around me that i was i was just loving being a part of these christian friends and i was weeping for this new longing that i was starting to feel in my life and again going back through that memory it, it reminds me he's real there is a god out there he's met with you and one of the ways he's shown you his love the most is in these specific places. Think about it might be Windy Gap. So many people have met God in Windy Gap. It might be some, a Canacook. Again, so, uh, so many people have met God in these places. But think about some place where you have met with God. The psalmist says, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and Mount Mizar. It's usually mountains. Have you ever noticed that? People meet God on mountains a lot. 
Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, Mount Hermon, Mount Bazaar, probably where the, the, the psalmist was probably from, from these beautiful places in Israel, and now he's in desolate Babylon. So when you're feeling the absence of God, you need to fight for his presence. C.S. Lewis talks about the stab, the stab of inconsolable longing that pierces us like a rapier, the smell of a bonfire, the sound of wild ducks flying overhead, the morning cobwebs in late summer, or the noise of crashing waves. I love the water imagery. The presence of God can be overwhelming. It, your deepest longing can be met by the depths of his fullness. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, verse 7. I think about the, um, just think of the biggest rapids you've ever seen. I saw, I saw on the Nile these class 5 rapids. I actually went through them. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your, the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and waves have gone over me, verse 7. Some commentaries think that that's negative. I think it's actually uh, the way that water is used about the psalm. It's clearly a, a positive sense, in my opinion, of this overwhelming experience of God, like these crashing breakers, you know, gigantic waves crashing on the ocean. All your waves and breakers have gone over me. This water imagery is everywhere in the psalm. So let me finish uh, by... Um, one of my favorite movies of all time, Mad Max Fury Road. It's not what it sounds like, okay? You gotta, it's, this is a great movie. Uh, some of the great movie critics say this is a great movie, so it's not just Ben Milner. Um, it starts out in a very dark way, not a spoiler, because it's the very beginning of the movie, but at the very beginning of the movie, um, it's this post-apocalyptic wasteland. It's filmed in Namibia, and so it's this these beautiful images of this absolute desert wasteland with these giant cliffs and things like that. And all these people, um, some of them like missing arms and um, legs and feet and noses because it's post-apocalyptic, you know, nuclear holocaust. And they're all down in this, uh, in this desert valley. And um, there's this guy, this evil uh, guy who has hoarded all of the, the water in the area. He's, he's found an underground spring and he has hoarded all of the water. And every now and then he will, he will pull this lever and these giant, uh, these giant chutes, uh, the water will come flying out these chutes and down into the valley. And all these people will bring their little tin cups and try to catch the water, try to catch it in their hands. This massive waterfall comes out. His name is Immortan Joe. And so as he releases the waterfall and this water comes out, he says, I am your redeemer. It is by my hand that you will rise from the ashes. And then right when they start to drink some of the water, he shuts it off. He shuts it off to continue to keep them under his thumb. But it's a really powerful depiction of just this hunger uh, for cooling water of life. And the true redeemer, in contrast to Immortan Joe, never holds back anything. Never uses his, the water of life to manipulate us. It says, by day the Lord pours out, literally pours out his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. He will give you as much as you can take. He never holds back anything. Jesus stood up in John 7:37. He cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow the living waters of life. And so when we turn to this meal, the presence of God 
is given to us in abundance. We believe that Jesus is really present at this table. And so as we come up here, uh, I will pray that you experience the satisfaction of your longing for God, even if for a moment, and it, it will draw you back to